everyone. Welcome to Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. I'm Megan Cummings-Kruger, and today we're going to be focused on the power of perspective in mentoring and in life. Marcel Proust observed that the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. And this ability to reframe how we see things is, of course, particularly relevant right now, as we all seek to respond to an almost overwhelming collection of complex challenges. My guest is Kimberly Strong, who brings to this conversation over 20 years of experience in human resources as a C-suite and executive leader in organizations such as Target Corporation, as well as being the founder and CEO of the well-named Strong Connection, which was created to advise companies on championing diversity in the workplace and aligning people and business strategy. Kimberly also devotes time as a speaker at industry conferences, and she is active in Pipeline Angels, where she is proud to support women and non-binary femmes by investing in and advising startups. Kim received her Bachelor of Business Administration Management from Howard University, and she currently resides with her husband in Atlanta, Georgia, and is the proud parent to a son and stepson. Kim joined the Mentium community as a mentor in our pilot of the Momentum program and has continued to mentor with us ever since. She also mentors for a number of other organizations and boards. So we are delighted to have her as a mentoring partner and we are delighted to have her as our guest today. Welcome, Kim. Great, thank you. Thank you so much for that great introduction. I'm really <laughs> glad to be here today. Absolutely. So I'd like to start out with a question that I know so often you are asked, and that is, as a Black woman who has held a number of C-suite and executive roles over the course of your career, can you share with us, how did you get there? You know, the great thing about um, my journey is it, it wasn't as planned out as I thought. <laughs> so uh, coming from a family, I'm from, originally from Detroit, uh, a proud daughter of two Detroit public school teachers, retired public school teachers. And most of my family, um, I always say when we hear people talk about generations, you hear first generation, first generation to go to college. Actually, I'm third generation college in my family. Now here's the kind of the switch on this is my family's either educators or physicians, not a bad place to be. I didn't see myself in corporate. So I always thought I wanted to be an educator. Uh, and so, but then all of a sudden people started, when I went to Howard, uh, I ended up switching um, schools. I was in school of liberal arts, but then I switched over to school of business. And it really opened my mind to different things that I didn't even know was available to me. And also um, when recruiters would come, I would see people who looked like me and so I thought, well, maybe business is where I wanted to go into. And then someone started talking to me about human resources. And I really thought, because mainly if they were there, I would talk and learn about it. During my time, human resources wasn't a position you could just come into right out of college. You had to work your way there. And so when I was recruited, at the time it was called Dayton Hudson Corporation, not Target Corporation, but uh, I was recruited into being a manager. And I have to say, it was the best experience I ever had. So I did learn the business uh, piece. And then eventually, I always kept my forefront on being uh, human resources. So I got into human resources, uh, really worked my way through. And then ironically, when you mentioned um, me being a part of the pilot program for Mentium, actually, I was a mentee <laughs> of Mentium. 
um, when I was a regional human resource manager for then it was the department store division of uh, Target Corporation, Marshall Fields. And I was asked to be a mentee. And I got to tell you, it was the proudest day of my life because it just really taught me uh, or taught me and told me at the same time that they valued me. And I didn't know I was being taught that that people want to feel valued, but I was just proud to be a part of it. So I was uh, a mentee at that time. And so I was really excited. And that was really my first introduction uh, to Mentium. But I think having someone in learning from the business for mentoring, because my parents, they could tell me a lot, but, you know, as an educator, and even as a, a physician during that time, um, and even still today, I mean, there's not travel, there's not all this stuff that goes on. So I just remember my mom always saying, Kim, um, where did you travel to today? Because I was usually going to some different state or even in, just in Michigan, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I went to Traverse City and she was like, how was it? You know, so that was always funny. So I always had this routine of bringing every magnet back from wherever I went to, uh, to show where I went because, you know, back then we didn't have, I had to use an almanac or, you know, I was like reading maps to get to places, you know, and it was just fun for my family because I was the first one in business who really did as much travel as I did. So it was always like, you rented a car. I mean, and those are little things that you just don't think about, you know, <laughs> um, during that time. So it was just, I had to learn through others about how to, you know, balance that in terms of being part of the business, understanding the business acumen, which really wasn't, I didn't see in my lifetime. And so mentorships really helped me through that. People who were in business really helped me through that. Absolutely. And, and when I was listening to you, I was thinking about how, uh, because I know we've spoken a number of times in the past and how really you have evolved into uh, education of a different form in all the work that you do. So I'd like to follow up, you know, we talk often at Mentium about how learning happens at the point of difference. So the power of mentoring comes from seeing through someone else's eyes. You have mentored both with Mentium, but also wherever you have been, you've mentored so many mentees in your life. Have you found that there's any consistent themes that you've seen from your mentees? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different buckets. I see like from, there's quite a few that I would say, let's say the entry level mentee, the ones that are just really starting out their career and they just want to go fast <laughs> and go real fast. And so I'm always like, uh, let's slow down. Let's look at your resume. Let's see what is the plan. What do you ultimately, where do you want to ultimately be? What is the destination? And then let's kind of work backwards from that and see what kind of experiences you can have being in that, that you need for that to get, you know, ultimate position you want to, or they think they want to, because we know a lot of things can change over time. So once I look at that and we kind of work through it, there's times where I could see they get frustrated. Oh, it's moving too slow. I don't think I like it here. I just want to up and leave. And I'm like, eh, no, because let's, we, your resume is a story. So let's kind of let's work through the story of your resume and make sure we understand that. So that's an aha moment for them. And I would say for, and that's, that's really the entry level type person that I work with. What I realize in terms of the mentees that you I've had through Mentium, 
they're on more the senior level side, like probably budding, their trajectory is to be an officer of their company, SVP or you know EVP. And what I see with them is that they've been so focused on their job, which is great because you gotta do the job to get promoted or get even selected to be a mentee. So just, I think they feel that same joy I felt of when they're selected to be a part of uh, Mentium and like, oh, wow. And then the pressure sets in, like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to, you know, do anything wrong because everybody's expecting me to, you know, get through this. And then when we go through it, it's just kind of aha moment when I realized they're so awesome at their job and some huge strategic position that they have and what they do. I'm just really amazed, but they don't use that same mindset for their career trajectory. And when I kind of start saying, so what's your plan? Let's go through it. Treat it like it's your plan that you would have for, you know, you're going to present to your director or VP. And once they see that, it's like this, I can always, I love when the light bulb comes on and they go, oh my goodness, all this time, I see what you're saying. Like, yes, you got, you have to plan it out. And what do you really want? And um, that's always the fun time. It's just really, they realize that they need to treat even the mentee, mentor relationship more strategically than they thought. I think they think it has to be something totally different, but it's like, what do you do on a regular? How do you approach someone? What do you do to network? You know, and so those are fun moments to, um, you know, work with them to fine tune that. And even I, you know, the last year I had to learn together in terms of how to fine tune it through um, a more virtual setting than ever in the past with other mentees, you know, it's just, I would always say, you know, the other types of networking that would work, but this time it, it was totally different, which was fun for me again, because I got to learn something new in terms of my mentoring style as well. It's so interesting because we, we so often talk about how, how holistic it is to have a year-long mentoring partnership, but you've also taken an interesting angle on that as far as uh, being strategic, not just with the role that you have, but with your career. So it's kind of another aspect of that holistic nature of a mentoring partnership. So thinking about continuing to focus on perspective, what about yourself? Uh, you know, has there been a consistent lens through which you viewed your work, would you say? Yeah, I would say, you know, a lot of times it was just through, especially with DEI work, I think you have to really meet people where they are. Um, you know, there was times where, you know, you just, well, you want to assume that everybody's on the same page and we're not on all topics of the spectrum in terms of working with DEI because there's so many different things out there. So it's really, it's a one, I mean, a one-on-one -on -one conversation, especially in organizations and with the consulting I do, you know, just really helping people understand what's, how do they benefit? What's in it for them? I didn't want to use that <laughs> uh, kind of <laughs> scenario of everybody use that what's in it for me, but it really is. It's just seeing like, okay, tell me on my baseline, how does this affect me? And I think once you get to tell, you know, help them understand how it affects them, also what role they can play, because I think sometimes we take too big a piece in saying, oh, we have to do all of this. Well, no, some people might have to do more than others, but tell people how they fit into the piece of it. Because I think sometimes we go too high 
in an organization because most higher up, if they're at C-suite, the CEO, they know it's important because of just the number of eyes that are on it. There's a lot of reasons why they're going to really look at it. But to really trickle down to, you know, the main people who make things happen is just really having them understand how it affects them, especially that middle manager who is really the key to making it happen. And so just really helping them, everyone. I mean, so no one is excluded. Just how does everyone fit into that picture and letting them understand what their role is to contributing to that vision and where they need to be. But I think it's just so important that people really understand what role they play because we can't boil the ocean. We have to start somewhere. And I think that's the part sometimes we miss. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have the benefit of having had a number of conversations with you. And so I know one aspect that is such a unique strength of yours truly is how you are able to meet people where they are. I mean, we all know we should. Uh, It's a very different animal to actually be able to do that. And you maintain this level of positivity or assuming positive intent, let's say, uh, when you are trying to meet people where they are. And so I'm wondering, is there any story or example that comes to mind of of someone where you flexed a little to meet them where they were and, and were able to kind of shift that perspective? Yeah, I think one of the things is I always say, and I, I know I'll probably even, this might be part of uh, something I'll say later on. We'll go more into it. But I just try not to ever burn a bridge. So I said, you know, I try to stay connected. And I really try to um, keep that connection. If it's through tools like LinkedIn or Twitter, just, I'm, you know, Instagram. I'm not a big Instagrammer yet. I, I know that's my one thing that's I feel like I got to get by 2022. But at least they know I'm observing. I like it. <laughs> I just have, I'm just not out there. I'm more, I tweet more than that. But then LinkedIn. And so really using those tools. So a lot of times in terms of, like you said, meeting people where they are, I really try to connect people. So I have this trick I used to do pre-pandemic. It's just look through my LinkedIn and my Facebook and see whatever town I was going in. Because I still... Uh, I traveled a lot up until 2020, but I just see who's in town. And I just decided just to, I just email or, you know, go tweet or whoever, you know, just send a a message like, Hey, if you're available, I'll be at this hotel lobby at this time and come. And I got to tell you, it was the best thing I ever did. I started it back in, I think 2015. And really did it up until, I, you know, 2020. But it was just so much fun because I wasn't sure who was going to show up. And then I wasn't, and then I would end up making friends with other, they would make friends with each other. <laughs> so I was kind of creating this like cohort um, in terms of where I, um, I met. And so sometimes that helps. It just, when people see that you're genuinely interested and you have, when they would see different people, I mean, the, the people who would attend are totally different. And they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know you were interested in this or interested in that. And so it was just a great way of showing that connection and making people feel comfortable. And that's the one thing I do miss because that was a lot of fun because I never knew who would show up and rekindle the friendships and everything that I had. But also I love the idea of creating new friends toward each other. 
That's the word I was thinking of when you were sharing that story is creating those connections, mm -hmm. which are just never been more valuable, again, holistically, uh, professionally, but most especially personally these days. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what about also, again, being a block, black woman who is uh, dealing at the executive level, C-suite level, when it comes to that DEI work and being able to meet people where they are and affect a bit of a perspective shift, what have, what have you found that's been helpful for you? I think, you know, telling your story, you know, my story is that I think people assume we're all the same. And then when I'm, you know, from Detroit and, you know, it was interesting. I was, there's certain, it was a C-suite client I was working with it. It was funny. We went to dueling high schools. Uh, well, actually it wasn't high schools. It was just a school that had K through 12, but I didn't, I went through K through nine. And I noticed she went through the rival school uh, that was uh, K through 12 as well. And so it was just, when you, when you kind of break down those barriers, because when I told her what school I went to, I could see she shifted because to be honest, the school I went to, it was, it was probably five blacks at the school. <laughs> it was a private school. <laughs> But I knew she went and she, uh, her father was a very powerful CEO, no longer a CEO, but a past CEO. And um, I knew of her father. And so it was just funny because when she said, well, school, and I was like, oh, I went to such and such. And so it was just, and I could tell like her whole vibe changed with me and it was just easier. And this was on a topic of DEI. So it was easier for me to even talk to her because we found something in common. So a lot of times that my search is always to try to find something in common with somebody. That's what makes me sad about wearing a mask on an airplane because I'm, I'm that one, that one who tries to talk because sometimes I try to play a game of how long is it gonna take me to find out this person next sitting next to me and I have something in common that they would have never thought we had in common. And I've done that, that's the game I, when I'm awake, <laughs> I like to play because it, does, it just, it just makes it fun because I always try to break down the barrier. And I did this years ago. I mean, I've always done that. So it wasn't something that, you know, new and what people think, you know, happened just in a year. No, it's something I've always done because I always laugh after I get off the plane and go, haha, I bet you they never thought I would be the one they'd have that much in common with. I remember you showing that story and I was hoping you'd share it again because oh. I just think it's such a great positive um, and simple action. Um, and, and I think it's both. You're looking for that commonality in the moment, but then also I really appreciate how you prepare, you know, how if you know you're meeting with someone, you do a little research. And so you come armed with that connection and how that can sometimes open doors. So just great habits. So how do you see leadership changing in response to the challenges that we're all facing uh, with this pandemic? The ones I've personally seen, so I can't speak for the whole industry or whatever is going on, but just personally, just the ones I've seen and being a part of a couple of organizations that we have, we've had calls all through this time and just hearing and being with some clients, definitely lead, senior leaders are listening and not that they didn't listen before they just had to listen in a different way and I think having you know take it more than a year ago now but you know in March when everybody realized they had to switch to remote when in my working in corporate remote was I had people on my team who did work remotely a few days a week because it was the exception like you just approved it 
and you just knew and they, you know, they did it I, myself. Um, you know, there's a couple of times I've never always worked through my career in the same city as my office was, I was somewhere else, but normally I would just go to a remote office, never like I was always working remotely home. But then later I started doing that because it was just a lot easier and my boss approved it. So, cause I, I flew everywhere. So usually I'm working remote out of a hotel, not necessarily home, but it was just easier to take meetings from a hotel if I wasn't there. But I think people, are, leaders are starting to see that flexibility. So when we were going through that, I think everybody's like, oh, we got to work remote. In some cases, I heard stories that was sad that people, some people realized maybe they didn't even have a permanent home. I mean, I don't think that clicked to everybody because they would go into work. You weren't sure what the back, their backstory was. So I think that opened a lot of eyes that I heard of some leaders talk about like, oh my goodness, Kim, I didn't even, you know, I was this instant of not knowing. They really didn't have a place for us to come put some of the furniture in. So that was an issue. I also heard some stories where, especially during those early times of Zoom, you know, you're on the phone and I think you probably remember the days, like it was that long ago. It was only like February of 2020, but if you were on a call and your child walked in or the dog was barking, you would give that little, those eyes going. Cause I know I would give those mama eyes back in the day, like get out of the room when I had small children or when my <laughs> dog would bark or when a certain packaging company would ring my bell. Like no one rings bells anymore, but you know, you would just be like, or the lawnmower is going. Now we're like, whatever. I mean, you just can't be there. But I remember, you know, uh, hearing a story from a friend and she was saying she was on a call and the baby, her daughter was just crying. And, you know, she was like, you have permission to pick her up. But, you know, she had to wait. She was waiting for that permission, which I think more companies are understanding now. No, if the baby comes in the picture, you know, in, in the view of the camera, it's okay. If you, your dog is barking or cat, you know, I've seen a lot of cattails walk across the thing. It's, we don't get all flooded, but I just laugh at how we could be so anxious about that. And I think leaders have understood that. I think they're being more sensitive um, to people understanding that they're not ready to go back in. I mean, I think we've seen a lot of companies change. I think a lot of people were thinking after Labor Day, and now I'm seeing the trend of it going to after the first of the year. And then also adding the flexibility of saying, some companies are saying you can be remote as long as it works with your business, you can do it all the time. Or, you know, here's, you have flexibility to do it within your days, which is going to be so helpful because I think so many times, and I'll be honest with Mentium, I know a, a lot of times my superpower that you would use was that I worked remotely a lot before all of this. So that was kind of my superpower that you would give me other people who wanted to know how to work that. And now I laugh because when we've talked, the, you know, my mentee and I might've talked after we were like, everybody, you're on the same level now. <laughs> so we gotta like check, we gotta move to the next thing. <laughs> Cause I mean, that's not an issue anymore. I think no one will ever question the, you know, your work or anything being remote because now everyone's doing it and everyone had to prove that they could still be just as effective being remote. And it really was such a shift in perspective. I mean, it really forced all of us to see the whole person. Mm -hmm. You did see them in the house with the kid and the cattail, but also recognizing 
you don't know what you don't know. Right. And can I share a couple of more stories that I thought were Please. <laughs> interesting? I think people started to rely on their employee resource groups more because those specific groups, because they had such, you know, they were the expert on certain things within their, whatever they were working on. And those organizations were able to give more information. And then I noticed some companies, there's a couple of companies I had to start, a, you know, I helped them build a, a resource group because they didn't even have it. So they didn't even have that intel, that inside intel that they could have had. So that was a selling point to say, you need those types of groups because it really helped. And especially the ones that I saw really came forward was especially, you know, the disability, because that was a lot of groups uh, that really gave information because they found out when they were remote, a lot of people didn't have accessibility <laughs> to the thing. So they were very integral in helping that. And I think on sadly communication pieces, changing communication, there were stories I heard where in communication, you couldn't just tell the employees like, okay, EAP, this is what you need to do if you have any of these things. But you have to think there are some people who are put into a situation in terms of maybe a domestic violence situation. Now they can't go to work to get away from it for a couple of hours. Now they're there all day. So putting in a text number versus just calling, because maybe they couldn't call if they needed help. So it just, it really changed the way how we communicated, how we did a lot of things, because we had to think of everything when um, we weren't in a certain building and realizing that some workplaces are sanctuaries for people. Definitely, definitely. It reminds me of a documentary I just saw recently called uh, This Changes Everything and it was focused on women. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, oh. Women in uh, d female directors and women writers in the world of media, movies and TV shows and the like. But one of the things they were saying is the power of numbers. You've got to track this stuff to be able to really uh, make a persuasive argument. And that there had been a lot of arguments prior to this about the need for diversity of perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but the headway they made once they had numbers was incredible. That's great. I'm gonna make sure I check it out. <laughs> <laughs> So when you think about your career, um, and again, now, you know, you still, you have a lot of energy and focus in a lot of different areas now. So across now, you know, throughout your career, what habits come to your mind that you really feel contributed to your success? Sure. I think uh, one thing I, I finally found the title and now it's, it's always a Kim, it's another Kim who uh, I'll shout her out, but it was a, a friend of mine, Kim, uh, and she said, she calls it a portfolio lifestyle. So that's, she gave me this term, a portfolio lifestyle, because I do dabble. At first I was like, how do I say? Cause I'd like to do a lot of different things now. So it's a portfolio lifestyle. But I think uh, some of the habits that have gotten me here and what I continue to use is, first of all, I try to be respectful of people's time because I learned that just, you know, just entering into the workforce is just being on time, being respectful of people's time. I would say my husband would say that should, I don't do that personally as much as professionally. <laughs> so he used to get on me on that one. He'd be like, how come you don't treat it the same? So I'm still a work in progress on that one, I'm just saying. But um, really just being respectful, understanding people's time. And when you say you're gonna, but it also fits into my next one is when you say you're gonna do something, do it, follow up. I think there was a time where someone even nicknamed me the follow-up queen because I just, even if I didn't get that, 
full action done, I always got back with them to say what was going to happen or what was I, you know, planned to do. But at least I followed up. And I think a lot of people always respected me on that. There's a caveat to that is sometimes what you're following up, sometimes maybe I didn't need to follow up on it. So just say no. It was the power of no too. Because <laughs> some things I was following up and then I, I look at myself like, why am I doing this? Um, so it's a balance. <laughs> so follow up where you really know it's important for yourself to follow up. But if you're just doing stuff just to do, just sometimes you might have to take something off your plate, just understand how to balance that. And that's something I always tell my mentees to understand that part of it, because sometimes I was saying yes, way too much. So doing that. And then I know this is going to sound so funny for me, who I'm a pop culture guru, but really no gossip. I People trust me. I don't repeat anything. If I mean, being an HR, um, when I was in the HR world, of course, if this, I mean, I have to, if there's something that is definitely a violation of policy or something like that. And I always tell someone when they say, don't, can you not say anything? I was like, okay, based on this contingency, if there's something I need to report, I'm going to have to, but at least I would let them know. But any, when people confidentiality, especially mentoring, you can't, you can't talk about things to other people. So that was always my goal. And I think people always knew that. And even till this day, there's people I've worked with years and they still might call me and share something with me. And they know it's it's with me, it's locked and loaded. And so I've always prided myself because I just know I wouldn't gotten as far as they knew I was like, you know, the gossip girl. And so just one more thing, because I meant to oh, say yes. on the no gossip, because putting it into really current day, this is something I do too. I do not post anything on social media unless I ask. So I wanted to put that in for social, because now there's a whole different world of social media and things. And sometimes people just, you know, you want to enjoy a moment. If I'm out with someone business-wise, you know, I'm not the posting. I will ask if it's something like we say, oh, you want to take a picture or a selfie? But I think they respect that they'll ask, can I post this? And I will say, may I post this? So that's something I really, especially in this day and age, I want to be particular because I've seen a lot of people have to backtrack and apologize because they posted something they shouldn't have. I think that I'm really glad you followed up with that point because that's certainly part of the etiquette that hasn't really, um, the rules that haven't really caught up to where we are with technology. And that is such an important point and something to think about. Yeah. Anything else as far as words of advice you'd love to pass on to leaders? You know, part of what we love about this podcast is this is your opportunity to share what you'd like uh, to our audience, to our leaders, to fellow mentors. Sure. I think, you know, one of the things, the way I looked at it and looking back is like, what would I tell my younger self? And, yes. um, and looking through that, I would say, enjoy the journey more. I think I got so cut up on like, I want to get to this level. I want to get to that next level, you know, and just really enjoying where you are. And I think today's, even like just working with some of these really new entry, like just out of college, they can't, they get it more than I ever did. I took it so seriously, you know, and I feel really bad because now with the way the times are, I mean, the travel piece, like, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to take a gap year and go travel here. I mean, I would have never thought of doing anything like that. And now I'm like, wow, they had the right idea, <laughs> you know? So I just feel, enjoy the journey more, you know, definitely have 
plan to like kind of have an outline of where you want to go because that always helps you don't want to you know spend just really kind of understand where that destination is going to be but don't take it so hard when it doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to be because sometimes I have planned you know my life so hard that you're like oh it can't I can't have this happen because that's not how I planned it when I was asked to relocate to California oh I was like no <laughs> I would live in Detroit for the rest of my life. Like, I just didn't think that would ever happen. And my husband's like, um, mm, if you want to be married with me, we're moving to California. You got to figure it. And it was the best thing I ever did was, you know, to move to California. And then I ended up moving a total of nine times in my career. But I enjoyed, you know, I realized like, oh, okay. So at least I opened myself up to that. But I think it's just enjoying more. Don't overpromise, And I mean, and this is not with the work. This is more in the personal because I would do these silly things when my um, son, and I have to say, I know I, I have one biological son, my son, and I have a stepson. So he is with us. So I technically I have two. I really, you know, went looking at my life, but there was a couple of times where I would try to pretend that they had a children's uh, parent teacher conference you know, and I would tell my husband, you know, this is when we were in California, because that's when they were younger. And I was like, oh, no problem. I'm going to visit stores in, you know, Arizona. We'll be back by that time. I'll be there. Don't worry. Why did I do that? My husband would have rathered me say, no, I'm not going to make it because I have a flight that's not going to get back in time. And I would do stuff like that. So therefore, I would disappoint them because what flight ever runs on time so of course and you know I thought I had it planned that okay I get on the flight I land get in the car run to the school it never worked out that way there was you know delays and everything and I just never accounted for all of that and so my family did sit me down one time and said you know my husband and my sons were like mom just say no you can't make it it's okay and it just, I was trying to be the super mom and doing it on. I would say to those mothers out there, when I was a little different, <laughs> you just go around, well, most of them are back in school, but still, it's just those things of just, it's okay to say, I'm not going to make the parent-teacher conference or tell your job, I can't make that trip because I got to go to this parent-teacher conference. Just try to, I was trying to play all sides. That doesn't work. So I would say, don't over over promise on and mainly on your family side because i think we do very well with our work we get the deadlines we do all that and sometimes we let the personal down <laughs> the personal people down and then sometimes you don't even remember there was times where i don't even remember why i missed a certain event in my child's life so reflecting back on it if it's important for you to be there you know there's a lot of mentees who sometimes call me like my meeting the meeting i have with you know, a team is the first day of kindergarten. And that is my ultimate rule. You do not ever miss the first day of kindergarten, no matter what. You go to your boss and you tell them it's the first day of kindergarten because you'll never, ever get that back. So that's always like my number one thing because there's, there's, they were struck by it. I think everybody's eased up a little bit this, you know, over 2020, but that used to be a huge point of, just stress for some of my mentees in terms of doing uh, that. And that's, I think that's it. I wanted to make sure if I had everything that I wanted to <laughs> uh, <laughs> tell you, but um, yeah, I think everything has changed. Just thankfully a lot of things 
have eased its way out versus those old ways that I had to go through. But just be true to yourself, be true to your family, over communicate with your family, over, over, over communicate. Because as travel starts to pick up, there are times where I forget and tell my husband, oh, by the way, tomorrow I'm supposed to be in Boston or something. He just look at me like, I think you probably knew this a long time ago, but you're just telling me. So over-communicate. That was the younger me, but so that's why I said, tell the younger, like over-communicate to your husband, spouse, whoever, your partner, just over-communicate to let them know your plans and have a calendar. I think that over-communicate, you, I think you should do that in all parts of your world. I, you cannot do that enough because uh, always our inclination for whatever reason is not to communicate enough. And rarely is someone going to say, stop communicating. <laughs> so true. You're, yeah. <laughs> right, so then I want to close with this last question. And that is because I'd like to ask all of our speakers, do you have a favorite uh, quote uh, or saying, uh, I'm a collector of quotes. And so I always like to hear what's of value to others. Yeah, the one I've always used and given to each of you, you can ask the mint, <laughs> the mentees from Mentium, um, but I use it with everyone. It's the, my favorite is uh, Maya Angelou. And it's, you know, I'm not sure everybody's heard it, but it's so true. If you didn't know it was her, it was her. But people will forget what you say and people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think that's always my goal is to make people know that I listened, I heard them, I cared, and that they always have, when they think of my name, it's like, oh, like it's like a smile comes over their face. I love that. Well, and I have to tell you of all the quotes, and again, I am a collector of quotes, that quote of Maya's is my favorite one. I think it captures mentoring's essence the best of any quote I've heard. So I love that that is your favorite. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing all of your experiences and sharing that perspective and the power of being able to shift perspective. Uh, you know, all of us is have, you know, in this time, we're having so much uh, perspective shifting going on. <laughs> uh, and so thinking about how to do it intentionally, thinking about how, what a difference it can make, uh, kind of harnessing it, I think is such a relevant topic these days. Great. So I want to thank all of you who've been listening to uh, this Mentium Matters podcast. We have a number of excellent guests like Kim. So do make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And know that for additional resources, you can find some show notes on the Mentium website as well. We look forward to having all of you join us next time.